Hello, and thanks for finding us. Karam Deo is a local church in Denver, Colorado. We're a network of friends following Jesus together. Join us for preaching, teaching, announcements, and other musings. All right, you can keep talking, but I'm going to say this prayer. And it's, I'm praying out a verse that my family's been trying to memorize this week. But it says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flames the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. So Lord, I pray your power on us this morning, that we are filled with your power that comes probably so different than the power of even our American culture. I pray your power that drives us forward beyond our doubts, our fears. We pray fear goes and we pray vision. May we see once again the vision that you want us to see. May you remind us of things that we've known for so long, but we need to be reminded of again this morning. May we trust that you're good and you're good for us, you're good for me. May we trust that you're big and you're big for me and you're big for our country and our city and our neighborhoods and our kids. So Holy Spirit, be here, be with us. May we sense your presence more than anything else. In your name, amen. Uh, You guys, well, welcome to episode two of the sermon series of this gathered season, uh, Embracing Ministry and Maturity. Today's the apostolic. Um, I think the first thing God put on my heart before we even start is that it is a value of our church that we believe in the church, everybody gets to play. Everybody's a player in this church that we all actually have gifts, and even as we unfold this five-fold ministry, we all have different graces that are in us, and we all are meant to play. And as Dave shared last week, I would recommend you guys listen to on the podcast, he said, Karam Deo, if you're not ready to hear us say, you're actually part of ministry, <laughs> like your life is ministry, you're meant to do that, uh, you're going to get frustrated here. But we believe everybody is meant to play and meant to be part of this game. And everybody has giftings. And with that, we all have different giftings in, in this room. And you'll hear me say today that that's good. We're, and it's kind of sometimes hard to be with people who have different giftings than you because sometimes you want to be with people who are the same. The beauty of the church says rest in peop- around people who are different than you because we need to grow to be mature. The heart of what you hear today is that we grow up and we don't just remain children who just soak up stuff in our hearts, that we go out and believe that every place we put our feet, like the world, the kingdom moves and is changing and moving and developing and to look more garden-like, relating to Genesis. And if we don't believe that's for everyone, I, I would say as an apostolic leader, we're not actually reading the right gospel. I would say every one of us have the living spirit in our heart and we're meant to step out and trust that where we put our feet, the culture changes. So that's, that's the heart of today. Really, my role is to push you forward and encourage you that you have that inside of you and you can listen to the plan and the story and the voice of the Lord in the places he's called you to be. 
Ten years ago, about to this time, I was, in, uh, I was right around this, in South Africa, in Cape Town, South Africa, deciding if I was going to move to Denver or Cape Town, South Africa. I was catching dinner with this guy named Floyd. Floyd is one of the most apostolic people who've been in my life. He passed away just recently. Um, but Floyd McClellan has started movements that have like rippled on beyond his lifetime. But we're in this place in Moss. Has anybody been to South Africa? Yeah, yeah we, we're in Masapumalele, this little township. And they called it the Mossy Spur. So the townships are kind of little slums, you'd call them. They're all like tin shacks, like in Cape Town. And, uh, and then there's like a restaurant they call the Mossy Spur. And what it is is there's all meat hanging everywhere in there. So, of course, Floyd's going to take me to a place where I need to see with my eyes vision for the kingdom to move. And it was so fun hanging out with locals, cooking us food with the Kosa people. Anyway, he told me a story during this time that he said, Matt, when I was 27, because I was deciding what I wanted to do with my life. And he said, when I was 27, Matt, I prayed this prayer that I said, that he said, Jesus change anything and everything in my life so that I will see fruit in my life that echoes on to eternity. That fruit and discipleship and impact will go beyond my lifetime. And he, he went on to tell me stories of people that he's impacted. This is 10 years ago. Floyd was probably in his 70s, really with a heart to leave a legacy beyond his lifetime. And to paint a picture for you guys what Floyd has done, Floyd has shaped this church by being an apostolic leader. You guys know John Peterson, who's like a leader over us? John Peterson was coming out of ministry in his young age where he had three different churches tell John, you have no spiritual gifts. You have nothing to offer as a pastor. Floyd saw him and said, come with me and let's minister and start church movements in Amsterdam. And they went to Amsterdam and started movements among prostitutes, which is still happening to this day where church movements are starting. These guys are from Kansas City. There's a guy named Adam Cox who was in his young ages, ran into Floyd when Floyd was teaching in a megachurch in Kansas City. And, and Adam was a young guy who didn't really have courage to move on. And Floyd spoke life into him and said, you have a gift, lead people. Now he leads a church called Nava Church 15 years later that's like a thousand plus people throughout Kansas City, bringing effects of prayer, impact, and justice. Floyd is a man who started movements in, in um, Afghanistan. He walked in the hippie movement back in the 70s and saw hippies come to the Lord and actually start churches. Then he moved in his late years to South Africa and said, I'm going to serve the least and the hurting and the lost and saw church movements start among the townships in South Africa. We are here to this day in this room because this guy named Floyd. And 10 years ago at that moment, he put a bug in my heart that actually what it did was during that time, he called me back to the story that Jesus had. In the beginning, there was a story that actually we are meant to make the world more garden-like. There's a garden where it was beautiful and awesome. And the hope of the garden was that when we go out, we're to make everywhere we go more garden-like. At the end in Revelation, the picture in Revelation 21 isn't just a garden. It's actually a garden city. 
And why is that? Because God said each one of us are meant to partner with Him. The storyline is to partner with Him and we have a place to make it more like the garden He began with. So what Floyd painted in my heart is saying, hey Matt, you're to go to the place He's calling you and every place you step your foot through business, through church, through discipleship, through friendships, it's actually supposed to look more like the garden. Because in the garden, he says, go be fruitful and multiply. And when we see that right away, we're like, oh, yeah, it means have kids. Yes, it means have kids, but it's also meant to expand the culture of what this looks like. Softly, he pointed me back to the story. Floyd's like, no, you're in the story. It's not your story. You're in God's story. Don't forget it. And the point of an apostolic leader is to remind us, you're in the story today. You're part of the story when you have three kids and your beautiful daughter's climbing over here. You're in the story. And then he painted something else to me. He painted an apostolic leader will always paint to us the responsibility we carry with those around us. Floyd always carried this responsibility. That he didn't choose it out of guilt or shame or heaviness, but he felt responsible for his friends that are around him. He carried it with him. Obviously, I decided not to stay in South Africa. But I moved to Denver, and who would call me? Papa Floyd would call me and say, Matt, what's the Lord saying? What's the story you're following for discipleship? And this man, Floyd, who just died a few months ago, poured me back into calling to expand the kingdom in neighborhoods throughout Denver and choose to be responsible. And a lot of times, you know, apostolic leaders would be like, you're on a mission, do the mission. And mission is kind of weird because if I'm in my neighborhood and I say, I'm a missionary to you, nobody wants to hang out with me. (laughs) They don't. But if I say, hey, I want to carry responsibility with you for the things going on in your life, people would like start choking up and be like, okay, I, I don't want to be alone. And an apostolic leader charges on softly in a way that carries responsibility with their friendships in a way, until they start believing that they can impact the world too. I think before I even start, there is something wrong with this vision where in America we believe power is so important. It's a value of American culture. But Jesus mostly talked about meekness, which is power under control. I'm listening to a podcast right now about a church that was established years ago and in Washington. They're very impactful. And someone might say this leader was an apostolic leader. He brought vision. He certainly did. He brought impact. But he plowed people over in the way. He plowed them over because he was strong and forceful. And I would say the way Jesus like, painted the apostolic was very different than that. He planted it in meekness. He walked with people for years until they caught the vision of what like, they carried in their heart and what they would be responsible for. It looks, compared to him, it looks a little closer of an apostolic movement to the TV show I'm watching. Anybody watching Ted Lasso? Yeah. <laughs> right? Ted Lasso, I'm not recommending it necessarily. The language is a little bit, uh, uh, like a little bit sketchy. But, but what he did, Ted Lasso, I have, I'm only like five episodes in, but he would go in strategically, see the vision of like this boss who's bogus, and say, 
Longevity is the key to incarnational influence and would continue slowly, slowly to develop identity back in them. Say your brokenness and jadedness doesn't define you anymore and start filling them full of hope and realize now you can go actually live into the calling and role that you're meant to live. There's this... uh, there's the, uh, the older uh, soccer player, right, who's all bitter and hates everybody. And slowly Lasso goes into his life, and this guy starts taking responsibility for other people beyond himself. And I'd say Lasso is maybe a better example of what an apostolic leader should look like, and people become a better version of themselves. And that's Floyd McClung. Floyd McClung did that to this church in so many movements across the globe. It reminds me similar, if you guys, before I go into Ephesians, John 21. I love this piece in John 21, if you guys don't know it offhand, if you haven't memorized it. But in John 21 is when Peter, Jesus, Jesus went away. Peter went back to the very thing he, Jesus took him from, back to fishing. He's like, I guess my whole last three years was a waste and went back to fishing. Jesus, the apostolic leader. And as we talk about this, Jesus is an apostolic. He, he's, he's the one who can, contains all five pieces of this leadership thing that we're talking about. But Jesus makes a breakfast on the beach. Peter sees him, comes running in and over breakfast. He says, Peter's feeling shameful. He doesn't have anything to offer. He's downcast. And Jesus starts to be an apostle to him, speaking life back into his soul and says, do you love me? Do you love me? No, 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 your past doesn't define you anymore. What happened there doesn't define you. That isn't the definition of your life. You are in the story of God of redeeming this world back to the garden. No, 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 Peter, see correctly of who you are. What he did was put passion and purpose back into Peter. He said passion, this idea deep down, deep down that changes the identity passion. You've heard Dave talk about this a lot, that this orthopathos, this desire deep down that you can't help but move on, he changed that back within Peter that says, you belong, you're impactful, you have something to give. And then in the moment, he painted a new story that you're part of this story. And as you guys know, from that moment in John 21, Jesus left again and Peter was launched out. The heart of an apostle is to actually ignite people on fire. Jesus left a legacy in Peter that put identity and purpose back into his soul. It was a legacy. And I would say that's what the apostolic does, puts hope in people's lives that they can actually leave impact. Okay, guys, turn to Ephesians 4. If you haven't listened to last week's message, I would say go back and listen to it because Dave gave an epic message on what this whole passage is about. But I'm going to give a zoom through this because this is a letter that Paul wrote to the church as a whole. Like, so it would probably be a universal truth, not to a specific church, but to every church and believer moving out there. And if you look at it, I'm going to break it. Dave went verse by verse, but I'm going to break through this. If you go verse 4, in chapter 4, 1 through 6, it's actually on unity. 
It's saying beyond anything else, over and over, it says, church, be unified. Be together. Be connected. Seven times it says, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. Over and over, be unified. Church, be unified. Be unified. We love that until the next piece, 7 through 11, says, embrace diversity. It talks about all the different giftings that we all have. It says, embrace diversity. Engage it. It's something so currently not in our culture right now. We want to be unified, but we don't want to embrace diversity. The church is the place that says, no, be unified and embrace diversity at the same time. And it flows into the last section of uh, 12 through 16 where it says, when you embrace these, builds maturity. Dave said it last week, but always, don't you, we always want to be with people who are the same as us. Even Dave and I's giftings are distinctly different, if you haven't noticed. And it's always more fun to be with people who just, you know, rub the affirmation on cream on you and says, oh, it's perfect. It's great. But when you start actually trying to lead stuff with people who are different, it actually creates rub, doesn't it? It creates tension. If you've been married, you've probably seen this or tried to have any friendship at all, you've seen this. And this is where the Lord's like, perfect. If you hang with people and only know how to engage people who are the same as you, you'll never grow out of infancy. And the call of the church, we actually right now, I'd say a cultural moment stepping out of even the sermon, is this is what the church needs to do. We need how to listen to people who think different than us. We need to learn how to celebrate people who have different beliefs and learn how to sit in the tension of unity and diversity dancing together. Because this has been a call of the church for centuries. You guys have heard me say this before. The idea of university, like we all went to university, came from a passage like this. It's unity in diversity. It's a Christian worldview that says Christians are supposed to mingle and grow together and combine unity and diversity. So I just say, Karam Deo, I beg of us, I charge us to learn how to engage the issues at the, at the time, to listen to people, to love people, and learn how to like, insert your thoughts in the midst of lovingly engaging people who are different than you. And that would be people in this room, and it would be people who actually don't ever go to a church. Learn how to engage I would say that's the starting call of an apostle saying that's the start of missional. Like this passage right here, until we can engage this and say, I love you and you're different. I'm going to take time, like even Ted Lasso, and like, I'm going to take like years to actually see you develop and believe the calling in your life. Or a better example, I'm going to be like Jesus who is with his disciples, Peter, for three years, pouring into him directly over and over. And still after three years, Peter not knowing who he was and Jesus having to come back again and say, you're part of my story. Believe every step you take is a part of my story. Your passion, your identity is useful and needed. Your past doesn't define you. Those jaded issues don't define you. That's the call of this passage. So until we embrace that, what Dave talked last week, 
we actually shouldn't even talk about the giftings beyond that. Like, we need to learn how to embrace difference, unity and diversity. And this room is a call to me. You guys, I know so many of us in this room, and we are freaking awesome. We are so cool. I could go one by one of how awesome and the impact you're having in the fields that you're called to. And I would just say, guys, we need to grow up. Keep growing up, taking risks with the Lord, feeling uncomfortable so that we can live in the calling and embracing the culture God has for us. Live into it. Grow up, guys. Say that prayer that Floyd did at 27, saying, God, strip from me anything in my heart so that when I die, I'm leaving a legacy that's beyond my own self. Stop navel-gazing. Look out. Your work that God has given you, whatever job it is, if it's commercial real estate, if it's tutoring, if it's being a police officer, if it's going to seminary, if it's making boa straps, like whatever it is, don't forget you're there for a reason. The Lord's saying, no, you're here for a reason, and it's my story. It's not just your story. It's your story in His story. You're making videos for a cool little small company. Like you're here to actually live in maturity, to have thick skin and soft hearts. That's the call I'm calling you guys to in every gift that you have. And it's fruit that remains. It's this. So look at verse 13, you guys. 13, uh, chapter 4, verse 13. It says this, Until we all, that's all of us, attain to the unity, unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature human beings to the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro. Guys, until we all embrace it, we'll be tossed to and fro. We need each other. Go grab lunch this week with somebody who's different than you. Embrace the awkwardness so we grow into mature adults who actually forcefully advance the kingdom of God. I, I think uh, one, one thing that's really hard for me right now in our culture, there's a lot of Christians who are, like there's even things on end times or government stuff or whatever the issue is. And it's forcing Christians to retreat and hide out and keep themselves safe. And I would say as an apostolic leader, like, who knows? It might be in times. The Lord might be here. We might switch governments. I don't care. Whatever's happening, the call of us is to step in and engage into the mess so that others can know the hope of Jesus that's beyond the circumstance. So I say whatever belief is going on politically in our hearts, step into it. Change the culture. So that maturity happens in our nation. All right, we're getting to the apostolic now. Verse 11, we're going back. It says, And he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, and shepherds and teachers. We call this the apest. So there's an apest in the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. And as you've seen in recent history in the church, most of the leaders have been shepherds and teachers. Guys, the role of this shepherds and teachers, and you'll see this, are meant to bring people in, right? They do this. No, come in here so I can teach you. 
I want Brad to know as much as he can. He needs to know more. And I want to make sure he's safe. And it's good. It's part of the kingdom. And then you have the apostles and the evangelists saying, no, what are you doing? Get out there. You're not supposed to be here. Why are you even here? Go out with other people. They need to know the hope of Jesus. Get out there. And all of a sudden you see this tension happening. Because the apostles are like, Dave, don't teach them anymore. Just kick them in the pants and tell them to go into the world. And Dave's like, but Matt, they need to be taught. They need to be taught. And I'm like, Dave, they need to learn by fire and get out there. And then you have the prophets who are actually the ones in the center of this circle loop who are actually hearing from the Lord and calling us back to intimacy with the Lord. And it's a circular loop. It's actually meant to work perfectly together and is supposed to be tense. It's not to figure out, how do we make a balanced leadership? No, it's saying, how is leadership to embrace the tension so that we grow into maturity? So Dave's like, Matt, we need to teach. And I'm like, no, they need to lead a house church. And then they need to swing back and get trained. And then we need to lead a house church and get trained or whatever the Lord's telling you to do. This is the beauty of the APES working together. The problem with, and you've heard me say this, when it's just teachers and shepherds in a room, like you get people who said, Matt, like that old lady you've heard me talk about who's been in a church since she's a fetus and she's 85 now. (laughs) And she literally goes, Matt, discipleship? Oh, I could never do that. And I'm like, you've been in the pew and you're a great lady, know a lot, and you're too scared to try it? I'm like, no, go try If you're trying to follow Jesus, you can't go wrong. And the apostles in this place are meant to kick you out and say, go try. And as you trip and fail, because you will, we're meant to bring you back in and actually say, we love each other. And I would say all of us, this isn't, it's been falsely taught that like some of us have these giftings. Matt's the apostle here. Many of us have this gift of apostle. You'll see it in our community. Mike Waters is an apostolic leader. Apostolic people are ones who start new things. They're entrepreneurs. They're investors. They take risk. They push you out. Oftentimes, the apostles has said, no, you only belong in business, not the church, indirectly. Or you belong in the mission agencies. And I would say, no, this church needs the apostolic. Donnie Stone is an apostolic leader. He's starting new things all the time. Two of those guys, you'll see their giftings mix, and sometimes it actually rubs us wrong, and we're like, settle down, Mayor Mike, you know? (laughs) Settle down. Come read a book and don't go so fast. But it's actually giftings in this mix that we're meant to call people out in. And what it comes down to the garden, if you guys walk through this, this is what an apostle is meant to do. So first, I said... Uh, when the garden was there, it said, be fruitful and multiply. Go out. The whole earth is to look garden-like. And then a guy named Abraham came, right? And God said, go and be a blessing so that, what? You're a blessing to everyone. We missed that. And then Israel happened, formed a nation. And what was Israel for? For safety and security? No. It was so that they were an example of what the rest of the world was to look like. But too often we forget that. And we think we have a good, safe thing and we retreat to safety and security. And I would say every human being in here is meant to live passionate, purposeful lives. 
But our culture, even the older you get, you guys, the hardest things to maintain are passion and purpose. When you become a parent, what it, it shifts to is security, safety, because that's responsible. And I'm not saying don't be responsible for that one. I'm going to be responsible for it. But I'm supposed to also be passionate and purposeful. And don't forget that you're part of a story that is meant to change the globe. It's not meant to bring safety, but the world says, be safe, secure, have a safe bank account, a safe retirement, have more insurance. And I'm not saying don't do any of those things, but I'm saying the role of an apostle is to remind you, you are meant for more. My family as a whole is meant for more. And that is the role that we're meant to push us out and remind us like, no, you're passionate. Your identity deep down is meant for more. You're in God's story, the one that is wrecking havoc on the world. And that doesn't come through the U.S. government alone. It comes from the living God pressing forward. And that's the role of apostle, that I'll keep pushing you out and say, be passionate, be purposeful. And I would say to this, the older you get, if you don't cultivate that, you will not produce passion and purpose in your life. You'll slowly drift to safety and security. And the Lord is saying, rest in me, hear my voice, and go out to passion and purpose. And then a guy after Israel, this guy named Jesus, incarnated himself, was born into the world, and he was fully apostolic and knew the vision he was called to. He was called to the cross. And even his followers didn't know where he was going. They're like, oh, you're going to do good things. He's like, nope, I'm going to die because it's the only way to get back to the garden is for me to die. And he pursued, you look through all four Gospels, there's a slow pursuit to the cross of sacrifice, responsibility, him being part of the greater story. And yes, we're never going to be part of Jesus, but we're to emulate him and live into it. And I love even a, a story of Jesus, John 4. The woman at the well, a pretty famous story, right? Jesus takes his disciples in this apostolic gifting and walks them through, I would want to teach on the whole thing, to this little place where good, good people, Jewish people, would never go and meets this prostitute who's fetching water. And he realizes an apostle that she's meant for passion and purpose well, as well. His disciples are like, what are you doing? He didn't care. And he did this. Usually what happens with an apostle, if you have five fingers, the apostle is usually kind of like the thumb. And it usually, to actually influence people, connects with other giftings. So when Jesus went to the woman at the well, he connected both with the evangelist and the, she- and the shepherd, right? He started shepherding her and saying, Oh, your past story doesn't define you. That's not who you are any longer. Let me tell you the story of God. He, he, said, he didn't yell at her like the yelling preacher. He actually slowly, strategically Ted Lassoed her. And at the end of the conversation, she realized, Hokey Pete's. I think I have the apostolistic gifting too. I don't know if that was the word, apostolistic. And she ran back to her town and her whole town started believing in Jesus because Jesus spoke life and launched her out. Apostles connected with different giftings, shepherded her, evangelized her, 
and sent her out to be part of the story that's beyond herself. Okay, we see this in another story, Peter. So after Jesus leaves, you see this over and over again. Peter and Paul become apostolic leaders in the church. Peter connects with his prophetic gifting and starts listening to the Lord. And he starts getting little whispers. Hey, hey, Peter, there's this guy named Cornelius who's going to come to you. It's Acts 10. And then Cornelius hears from the Lord. He's, he's a Gentile, thinking that it's not for him. He's the other. He's the them. Whoever you guys think the them is, if it's a political thing or if it's a moral thing or whatever, that would be this people. And Jesus led them to actually sit with Gentiles and then he connected with preaching and he taught them and they became a blessing for all nations. He said, get out, go get out of the box so the world becomes more garden-like. Your story, you're part of God's story. God's not a sliver in your story. You're a part of God's story. And it changed, it changed the face of what Christianity was because he apostolically led them. And then he left Cornelius. It's the crazy thing that apostles do. He left him. And what did Cornelius do? Started a movement among his people. Paul did the same thing. He, you guys, this would be nerdy. Paul did the same thing and did, a, we call it the Pauline cycle. But over and over, he went all around the church and he did this thing, met with people. He said he kerygma then. Really, he just said, this is the story of God. You're a part of it. He dedicated them. This is how to live while you're doing it. Then he launched out new leaders. And over and over again, every letter in the church is Paul saying, you're a leader. You didn't know it yet. You can impact people. You don't know it yet. Go try it. And the call of this church, our church and the church universal is to send people out and say, you guys can do it. And make a garden city. I'll tell you two stories of how this has played out in my life recently, and then I'll close. God has given me a part and a passion to be part of his story, I think since I was 21, when I first actually started going for Jesus. I remember when it moved. I've been a a follower of Jesus since I was a wee little lad. And uh, and I remember it was just like it was the thing to follow. I was from this very proper town, Orange City, Iowa, where everybody is a Christian. And you guys have heard this. The stores literally aren't open on Sundays. All of high school events close down on youth group nights because that's what you do in a town, right? But I didn't really grasp the story of Jesus until I was 21. And when I grasped that, I'm like, no way. This is the most fun I've ever had. It's not boring to follow Jesus. To try to follow Jesus is the most exciting thing I've ever done in my life. If we just pray a prayer like Floyd did, saying, Lord, I want to be part of your story. Help me learn to live into my giftings. And at that moment, two stories that even happened, one relevant, one before, and one involved Dave. I went back to school at Bethel as the old guy. This was my third try at my undergraduate program. (laughs) And I went back to where Dave was and just started hanging out with some of his friends. And before you know it, they lived in this place called the cabin. It was a big house off campus invited me in and I just told stories. I didn't even know half the people in the room, but what I was doing and I didn't even know it about was catalyzing belief in them. And I put it in and said, you guys are a part of God's story. You guys are effective. You can do it. Go try it. I left. 
the next year, these crazy guys said, let's rent a circus tent, a little one, and put it on our campus and sign people up to do prayer events. So they did 40 days of nonstop prayer on a Christian campus. And it was like over spring break or something. And they started seeing people get saved at a Christian campus while they're there because of their obedience. And I did nothing, but what I did do was live the apostolic and say, you guys are part of something bigger. Don't shortcut yourself for safety and security. Go have fun with the Lord. Live on the edge and ask the Lord for adventure. The most recent one, actually, you guys heard me talk about it, but I think it's so profound with my birthday last week. You live, start living church with a bunch of friends who have all different giftings. And last week, they all came over for my birthday. And a neighbor who I've been praying for for years, his name's Al, you guys heard this probably last week, but came over and started hearing the church being church. And at that moment, this neighbor I've been praying for, I didn't have to preach to him. I just had to invite him into a culture. Started just weeping and saying, you guys, whatever this is, is special. Like, this is special. You guys know this is weird and special? Like, we know. He goes, oh my goodness. Now I know why all those cars go to your house on Sunday mornings. I get it. And then he gets, he gets another thing of whiskey because he's a whiskey distiller. But he started encountering kingdom because all these friends started realizing their life was broader than their own. Al's like, this is amazing. We're like, Al, you can be part of this. And what's he say to me? No, no, Matt. My soul is too dark. Past evangelism, you guys, what'd they say? Past evangelism says you need to go out and tell people they're dark and broken. I'm telling you, if you insert kingdom and hope, You don't need to tell them that. They'll figure it out real quick that they need something more and not carry their own burdens. And at that moment, me now me and Mike, this apostolic type team are saying, oh, we're praying right now. We're bringing him golf in. We're going to go hang out with him. Why? Because we love him. Not because he's a project, but we love him and we need to get out of the church building. So I would say as you listen to these last four points, you ask yourself, where is the Lord calling you to get out? Where is he asking you, maybe in your vocation right now, to reframe how you do it? Not do it differently, not do more, but may reframe the passion on your heart to be a police officer slightly differently or cook food for people slightly differently. Where, what is he asking you to shift? So I'd say, ask the Holy Spirit, how is he asking you to shift in order to do the same things you're doing, but slightly different to engage people? And where is he asking you to start new habits in order to get out of your box to engage people differently? Okay, so I want you to ask that as I'm talking. So if you don't hear these last few words, I don't care. I want you to hear the Lord and jot down things maybe he's saying for you to try radically get out and do. But as I studied, how do we do this? If you're an apostle, a gifting of an apostle, how do we do this? And how do we not just be pushy leaders who just push people over or run them over the bus if they're not doing it the way you want and say, get out of the way. If you're not doing it my way, I'm going to run you over and make a pile behind you. How do we do it differently the way maybe Jesus did? 
So I started reading John this week, and at the end of John, like, there's some huge keys that, that he does, that Jesus over and over emphasizes to people who are actually bringing the church beyond the walls. So this is what Jesus did, John 13 how Jesus is an apostolic leader and pushes people, I'm saying pushes people into their passion, John 13, he washed their feet. He moved it from just an institutional thing or like a check-the-box thing to a very relational thing. The kingdom and the movement of the church always comes through friendship and relationship. It's never people are projects or checking the box or getting a badge. It's actually that they're friends. You're going to wash their feet. He moved it from institutional as an apostolic leader to relational. John 14. He put the presence of who people were as image bearers. Like there's this place where he saw people for who they are. If you want to be an apostolic leader or if you're actually living as the church, we need to learn how to see people again. They're not projects. They're image bearers of the king who maybe forgot it. And our job is to carry responsibility to slowly Ted Lasso them, to remind them that they actually are image bearers of the king. They carry royalty in their DNA. They just forgot. So part of pushing people into greater things is reminding them they're royalty. They're image bearers. They look like the creator. John 15. John 15, how you do this. This is the the vine. And he said, spirituality starts inward, not outward. So when people come, you don't need to correct people's garbage anymore or try to polish off the rough edges. You say, come people, come with your rough edges. And from the inside out, you're meant to be changed. What did he do? That's a slow change. It's not taking a hammer and chiseling off the edges. It's a slow change. It's celebrating your friends who actually have rough edges because God knows that Dave has celebrated me with all my rough edges and sharp points and all that. And I'm like, oh, because inside out slowly is how we smooth out who we're meant to be. That's an apostolic leader, not a bus driver. John 16. Warfare is is not physical, it's spiritual. So as we approach a kingdom in our country, we don't need to attack different issues. We need to pray to the depth that spiritually people are changed from the inside out. We don't need to create enemies with people who believe differently. We can hold truth clearly and fight the spiritual battle and not fight the external one. Jesus did that remarkably. And this is huge. And this is what I ask us to certainly do. Jesus in 17 learned, taught to pray blessings and not curses. The churches as a whole have spoke curses over people over and over to prove a point. And I say, let's just be people who speak blessings. And over and over again as an apostolic leader, I say, go out into the world on mission and bless people to death. Ted lasso them until they actually discover themselves and start living a whole different story for the team they're a part of. That's what happens. 
We're not the yelling preachers. We're the Ted Lassos who come underneath the upside-down kingdom, lift them up in a missional way because we love them so much and we're going to speak goodness on their life. All of us are meant to do that. That's part of the apostolic. I'm going to just pray for us and be done. Holy Spirit, I pray that you reform our passions and identities and you recall us back into your story. Lord, pull us out. Lord, I admit that weekly I need you to remind me because I'm trying to serve my kids and serve my wife and develop a business and you're pulling me out and say, remember, you're part of a bigger story. Remember. May I hear the small, quiet whisper with the people who are standing right in front of me. May you reframe and give me thick skin so I can embrace diversity in the midst of bringing unity to a place. Holy Spirit, may your kingdom come. May this city look more garden-like. May the jobs we're in look more garden-like because we're in them. Lord Jesus, I praise you for your goodness. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to connect further, please visit us at www.cdchurch.org.